Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Volume 3, Chapter 6 of The Tenant of Wildfell Hall by Anne Bronte. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Expatriate in Bangor, Maine. Volume 3, Chapter 6 The Boundary Past. October 10th. Mr. Huntingdon returned about three weeks ago. His appearance, his demeanour and conversation, and my feelings with regard to him i shall not trouble myself to describe the day after his arrival however he surprised me by the announcement of an intention to procure a governess for little arthur i told him it was quite unnecessary not to say ridiculous at the present season i thought i was fully competent to the task of teaching him myself for some years to come at least the child's education was the only pleasure and business of my life and since he had deprived me of every other occupation he might surely leave me that he said i was not fit to teach children or to be with them i had already reduced the boy to little better than an automaton i had broken his fine spirit with my rigid severity and i should freeze all the sunshine out of his heart and make him as gloomy and ascetic as myself if i had the handling of him much longer and poor rachel too came in for her share of abuse as usual he cannot endure rachel because he knows she has a proper appreciation of him i calmly defended our several qualifications as nurse and governess and still resisted the proposed addition to our family but he cut me short by saying it was no use bothering about the matter for he had engaged a governess already and she was coming next week so that all i had to do was to get things ready for her reception this was a rather startling piece of intelligence i ventured to inquire her name and address by whom she had been recommended or how he had been led to make choice of her she is a very estimable pious young person said he you needn't be afraid her name is myers i believe and she was recommended to me by a respectable old dowager a lady of high repute in the religious world i have not seen her myself and therefore cannot give you a particular account of her person and conversation and so forth but if the old lady's eulogies are correct you will find her to possess all desirable qualifications for her position an inordinate love of children among the rest all this was gravely and quietly spoken but there was a laughing demon in his half-averted eye that boded no good i imagined however i thought of my asylum in blankshire and made no further objections when miss myers arrived i was not prepared to give her a very cordial reception her appearance was not particularly calculated to produce a favourable impression at first sight nor did her manners and subsequent conduct in any degree remove the prejudice i had already conceived against her her attainments were limited her intellect no ways above mediocrity she had a fine voice and could sing like a nightingale and accompany herself sufficiently well on the piano but these were her only accomplishments there was a look of guile and subtlety in her face 
a sound of it in her voice she seemed afraid of me and would start if i suddenly approached her in her behaviour she was respectful and complacent even to servility she attempted to flatter and fawn upon me at first but i soon checked that her fondness for her little pupil was overstrained and i was obliged to remonstrate with her on the subject of overindulgence and injudicious praise but she could not gain his heart her piety consisted in an occasional heaving of sighs and uplifting of eyes to the ceiling and the utterance of a few cant phrases she told me she was a clergyman's daughter and had been left an orphan from her childhood but had had the good fortune to obtain a situation in a very pious family and then she spoke so gratefully of the kindness she had experienced from its different members that i reproached myself for my uncharitable thoughts and unfriendly conduct and relented for a time but not for long my causes of dislike were too rational my suspicions too well founded for that and i knew it was my duty to watch and scrutinize till those suspicions were either satisfactorily removed or confirmed i asked the name and residence of the kind and pious family she mentioned a common name and an unknown and distant place of abode but told me they were now on the continent and their present address was unknown to her i never saw her speak much to mr huntingdon but he would frequently look into the schoolroom to see how little arthur got on with his new companion when i was not there in the evening she sat with us in the drawing-room and would sing and play to amuse him or us as she pretended and was very attentive to his wants and watchful to anticipate them though she only talked to me indeed he was seldom in a condition to be talked to had she been other than she was i should have felt her presence a great relief to come between us thus except indeed that i should have been thoroughly ashamed for any decent person to see him as he often was i did not mention my suspicions to rachel but she having sojourned for half a century in this land of sin and sorrow has learned to be suspicious herself she told me from the first she was down of that new governess and i soon found she watched her quite as narrowly as i did and i was glad of it for i longed to know the truth the atmosphere of grassdale seemed to stifle me and i could only live by thinking of wildfell hall at last one morning she entered my chamber with such intelligence that my resolution was taken before she had ceased to speak while she dressed me i explained to her my intentions and what assistance i should require from her and told her which of my things she was to pack up and what she was to leave behind for herself as i had no other means of recompensing her for this sudden dismissal after her long and faithful service a circumstance i most deeply regretted but could not avoid and what will you do rachel said i will you go home or seek another place i have no home ma'am but with you she replied and if i leave you i'll never go into place again as long as i live but i can't afford to live like a lady now returned i i must be my own maid and my child's nurse what signifies replied she in some excitement you'll want somebody to clean and wash and cook won't you i can do all that and never mind the wages i've my bits of savings yet and if you wouldn't take me i should have to find my own board and lodging out of them somewhere or else work among strangers and it's what i'm not used to so you can please yourself ma'am her voice quavered as she spoke and the tears stood in her eyes i should like it above all things rachel and i'd give you such wages as i could afford such as i should give to any servant of all work i might employ 
but don't you see i should be dragging you down with me when you have done nothing to deserve it oh fiddle ejaculated she and besides my future way of living will be so widely different to the past so different to all you have been accustomed to do you think ma'am i can't bear what my missus can surely i'm not so proud and so dainty as that comes to and my little master too god bless him but i'm young rachel i shan't mind it and arthur is young too it will be nothing to him nor me either i'm not so old but what i can stand hard fare and hard work if it's only to help and comfort them as i've loved like my own bairns for all i'm too old to bide the thoughts of leaving him in trouble and danger and going amongst strangers myself then you shan't rachel cried i embracing my faithful friend we'll all go together and you shall see how the new life suits you bless you honey cried she affectionately returning my embrace only let us get shut of this wicked house and we'll do right enough you'll see so think i was my answer and so that point was settled by that morning's post i dispatched a few hasty lines to frederick beseeching him to prepare my asylum for my immediate reception for i should probably come to claim it within a day after the receipt of that note and telling him in few words the cause of my sudden resolution i then wrote three letters of adieu the first to esther hargrave in which i told her that i found it impossible to stay any longer at grassdale or to leave my son under his father's protection and as it was of the last importance that our future abode should be unknown to him and his acquaintance i should disclose it to no one but my brother through the medium of whom i hoped still to correspond with my friends i then gave her his address exhorted her to write frequently reiterated some of my former admonitions regarding her own concerns and bade her a fond farewell the second was to millicent much to the same effect but a little more confidential as befitted our longer intimacy and her greater experience and better acquaintance with my circumstances the third was to my aunt a much more difficult and painful undertaking and therefore i had left it to the last but i must give her some explanation of that extraordinary step i had taken and that quickly for she and my uncle would no doubt hear of it within a day or two after my disappearance as it was probable that mr huntingdon would speedily apply to them to know what was become of me at last however i told her i was sensible of my error i did not complain of its punishment and i was sorry to trouble my friends with its consequences but in duty to my son i must submit no longer it was absolutely necessary that he should be delivered from his father's corrupting influence i should not disclose my place of refuge even to her in order that she and my uncle might be able with truth to deny all knowledge concerning it but any communications addressed to me under cover to my brother would be certain to reach me i hoped she and my uncle would pardon the step i had taken for if they knew all i was sure they would not blame me and i trusted they would not afflict themselves on my account for if i could only reach my retreat in safety and keep it unmolested i should be very happy but for the thoughts of them and should be quite contented to spend my life in obscurity devoting myself to the training up of my child and teaching him to avoid the errors of both his parents these things were done yesterday i have given two whole days to the preparation for our departure that frederick may have more time to prepare the rooms and rachel to pack up the things for the latter task must be done with the utmost caution and secrecy 
and there is no one but me to assist her i can help to get the articles together but i do not understand the art of stowing them into the boxes so as to take up the smallest possible space and there are her own things to do as well as mine and arthur's i can ill afford to leave anything behind since i have no money except a few guineas in my purse and besides as rachel observed whatever i left would most likely become the property of miss myers and i should not relish that but what trouble i have had throughout these two days struggling to appear calm and collected to meet him and her as usual when i was obliged to meet them and forcing myself to leave my little arthur in her hands for hours together but i trust these trials are over now i have laid him in my bed for better security and never more i trust shall his innocent lips be defiled by their contaminating kisses or his young ears polluted by their words but shall we escape in safety oh that the morning were come and we were on our way at least this evening when i had given rachel all the assistance i could and had nothing left me but to wait and wish and tremble i became so greatly agitated that i knew not what to do i went down to dinner but i could not force myself to eat mr huntingdon remarked the circumstance what's to do with you now said he when the removal of the second course gave him time to look about him i am not well i replied i think i must lie down a little you won't miss me much not the least if you leave your chair it'll do just as well better a trifle he muttered as i left the room for i can fancy somebody else fills it somebody else may fill it to-morrow i thought but did not say there i've seen the last of you i hope i muttered as i closed the door upon him rachel urged me to seek repose at once to recruit my strength for to-morrow's journey as we must be gone before the dawn but in my present state of nervous excitement that was entirely out of the question it was equally out of the question to sit or wander about my room counting the hours and the minutes between me and the appointed time of action straining my ears and trembling at every sound lest someone should discover and betray us after all i took up a book and tried to read my eyes wandered over the pages but it was impossible to bind my thoughts to their contents why not have recourse to the old expedient and add this last event to my chronicle i opened its pages once more and wrote the above account with difficulty at first but gradually my mind became more calm and steady thus several hours have passed away the time is drawing near and now my eyes feel heavy and my frame exhausted i will commend my cause to god and then lie down and gain an hour or two of sleep and then little arthur sleeps soundly all the house is still there can be no one watching the boxes were all corded by benson and quietly conveyed down the back stairs after dusk and sent away in a cart to the m coach office the name upon the cards was mrs graham which appellation i mean henceforth to adopt my mother's maiden name was graham and therefore i fancy i have some claim to it and prefer it to any other except my own which i dare not resume end of volume three chapter six recording by expatriate in bangor maine volume three chapter seven of the tenant of wildfell hall by anne bronte this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by expatriate in bangor maine volume three 
Chapter Seven: The Retreat. October twenty-fourth. Thank heaven, I am free and safe at last. Early we rose, swiftly and quietly dressed, slowly and stealthily descended to the hall, where Benson stood ready with a light to open the door and fasten it after us. We were obliged to let one man into our secret on account of the boxes, etc. All the servants were but too well acquainted with their master's conduct, and either Benson or John would have been willing to serve me, but as the former was more staid and elderly, and a crony of Rachel's besides, I of course directed her to make choice of him as her assistant and confidant on the occasion, as far as necessity demanded. I only hope he may not be brought into trouble thereby, and only wish I could reward him for the perilous service he was so ready to undertake. I slipped two guineas into his hand by way of remembrance as he stood in the doorway, holding the candle to light our departure, with a tear in his honest grey eye, and a host of good wishes depicted on his solemn countenance. Alas, I could offer no more. I had barely sufficient remaining for the probable expenses of the journey. What trembling joy it was when the little wicket closed behind us as we issued from the park. Then for one moment I paused to inhale one draught of that cool, bracing air, and venture one look back upon the house. All was dark and still. No light glimmered in the windows. No wreath of smoke obscured the stars that sparkled above it in the frosty sky. As I bade farewell forever to that place, the scene of so much guilt and misery, I felt glad that I had not left it before, for now there was no doubt about the propriety of such a step, no shadow of remorse for him I left behind. There was nothing to disturb my joy but the fear of detection, and every step removed us farther from the chance of that. We had left Grassdale many miles behind us before the round, red sun arose to welcome our deliverance, and if any inhabitant of its vicinity had chanced to see us then, as we bowled along on the top of the coach, I scarcely think they would have suspected our identity. As I intend to be taken for a widow, I thought it advisable to enter my new abode in mourning. I was therefore attired in a plain black silk dress and mantle, a black veil which I kept carefully over my face for the first twenty or thirty miles of the journey, and a black silk bonnet, which I had been constrained to borrow of Rachel for want of such an article myself. It was not in the newest fashion, of course, but none the worse for that under present circumstances. Arthur was clad in his plainest clothes and wrapped in a coarse woolen shawl, and Rachel was muffled in a grey cloak and hood that had seen better days, and gave her more the appearance of an ordinary though decent old woman than of a lady's maid. Oh, what delight it was to be thus seated aloft, rumbling along the broad sunshiny road, with a fresh morning breeze in my face, surrounded by an unknown country all smiling, cheerfully, gloriously smiling in the yellow luster of those early beams, with my darling child in my arms, almost as happy as myself and my faithful friend beside me, a prison and despair behind me, receding farther, farther back at every clatter of the horse's feet, and liberty and hope before. I could hardly refrain from praising God aloud for my deliverance, or astonishing my fellow passengers by some surprising outburst of hilarity. But the journey was a very long one, and we were all weary enough before the close of it. It was far into the night when we reached the town of L., 
and still we were seven miles from our journey's end and there was no more coaching nor any conveyance to be had except a common cart and that with the greatest difficulty for half the town was in bed and a dreary ride we had of it that last stage of the journey cold and weary as we were sitting on our boxes with nothing to cling to nothing to lean against slowly dragged and cruelly shaken over the rough hilly roads but arthur was asleep in rachel's lap and between us we managed pretty well to shield him from the cold night air at last we began to ascend a terribly steep and stony lane which in spite of the darkness rachel said she remembered well she had often walked there with me in her arms and little thought to come again so many years after under such circumstances as the present arthur being now awakened by the jolting and the stoppages we all got out and walked we had not far to go but what if frederick should not have received my letter or if he should not have had time to prepare the rooms for our reception and we should find them all dark damp and comfortless destitute of food fire and furniture after all our toil at length the grim dark pile appeared before us the lane conducted us round by the back way we entered the desolate court and in breathless anxiety surveyed the ruinous mass was it all blackness and desolation no one faint red glimmer cheered us from a window where the lattice was in good repair the door was fastened but after due knocking and waiting and some parleying with a voice from an upper window we were admitted by an old woman who had been commissioned to air and keep the house till our arrival into a tolerably snug little apartment formerly the scullery of the mansion which frederick had now fitted up as a kitchen here she procured us a light roused the fire to a cheerful blaze and soon prepared a simple repast for our refreshment while we disencumbered ourselves of our travelling gear and took a hasty survey of our new abode besides the kitchen there were two bedrooms a good-sized parlour and another smaller one which i destined for my studio all well aired and seemingly in good repair but only partly furnished with a few old articles chiefly of ponderous black oak the veritable ones that had been there before and which had been kept as antiquarian relics in my brother's present residence and now in all haste transported back again the old woman brought my supper and arthur's into the parlour and told me with all due formality that the master desired his compliments to mrs graham and he had prepared the rooms as well as he could upon so short a notice but he would do himself the pleasure of calling upon her to-morrow to receive her further commands i was glad to ascend the stern-looking stone staircase and lie down in the gloomy old-fashioned bed beside my little arthur he was asleep in a minute but weary as i was my excited feelings and restless cogitations kept me awake till dawn began to struggle with the darkness but sleep was sweet and refreshing when it came and the waking was delightful beyond expression it was little arthur that roused me with his gentle kisses he was here then safely clasped in my arms and many leagues away from his unworthy father broad daylight illumined the apartment for the sun was high in heaven though obscured by rolling masses of autumnal vapour the scene indeed was not remarkably cheerful in itself either within or without the large bare room with its grim old furniture the narrow latticed windows 
revealing the dull grey sky above and the desolate wilderness below where the dark stone walls and iron gate the rank growth of grass and weeds and the hardy evergreens of preternatural forms alone remained to tell that there had been once a garden and the bleak and barren fields beyond might have struck me as gloomy enough at another time but now each separate object seemed to echo back my own exhilarating sense of hope and freedom indefinite dreams of the far past and bright anticipations of the future seemed to greet me at every turn i should rejoice with more security to be sure had the broad sea rolled between my present and my former homes but surely in this lonely spot i might remain unknown and then i had my brother here to cheer my solitude with his occasional visits he came that morning and i have had several interviews with him since but he is obliged to be very cautious when and how he comes not even his servants or his best friends must know of his visits to wildfell except on such occasions as a landlord might be expected to call upon a stranger tenant lest suspicion should be excited against me whether of the truth or of some slanderous falsehood i have now been here nearly a fortnight and but for one disturbing care the haunting dread of discovery i am comfortably settled in my new home frederick has supplied me with all requisite furniture and painting materials rachel has sold most of my clothes for me in a distant town and procured me a wardrobe more suitable to my present position i have a second-hand piano and a tolerably well-stocked bookcase in my parlour and my other room has assumed quite a professional business-like appearance already i am working hard to repay my brother for all his expenses on my account not that there is the slightest necessity for anything of the kind but it pleases me to do so i shall have so much more pleasure in my labour my earnings my frugal fare and household economy when i know that i am paying my way honestly and that what little i possess is legitimately all my own and that no one suffers for my folly in a pecuniary way at least i shall make him take the last penny i owe him if i can possibly effect it without offending him too deeply i have a few pictures already done for i told rachel to pack up all i had and she executed her commission but too well for among the rest she put up a portrait of mr huntingdon that i had painted in the first year of my marriage it struck me with dismay at the moment when i took it from the box and beheld those eyes fixed upon me in their mocking mirth as if exulting still in his power to control my fate and deriding my efforts to escape how widely different had been my feelings in painting that portrait to what they now were in looking upon it how i had studied and toiled to produce something as i thought worthy of the original what mingled pleasure and dissatisfaction i had had in the result of my labours pleasure for the likeness i had caught dissatisfaction because i had not made it handsome enough now i see no beauty in it nothing pleasing in any part of its expression and yet it is far handsomer and far more agreeable far less repulsive i should rather say than he is now for these six years have wrought almost as great a change upon himself as on my feelings regarding him the frame however is handsome enough it will serve for another painting the picture itself i have not destroyed as i had first intended i have put it aside not i think from any lurking tenderness for the memory of past affection 
nor yet to remind me of my former folly but chiefly that i may compare my son's features and countenance with this as he grows up and thus be enabled to judge how much or how little he resembles his father if i may be allowed to keep him with me still and never to behold that father's face again a blessing i hardly dare reckon upon it seems mr huntingdon is making every exertion to discover the place of my retreat he has been in person to staningley seeking redress for his grievances expecting to hear of his victims if not to find them there and has told so many lies and with such unblushing coolness that my uncle more than half believes him and strongly advocates my going back to him and being friends again but my aunt knows better she is too cool and cautious and too well acquainted with both my husband's character and my own to be imposed upon by any specious falsehoods the former could invent but he does not want me back he wants my child and gives my friends to understand that if i prefer living apart from him he will indulge the whim and let me do so unmolested and even settle a reasonable allowance on me provided i will immediately deliver up his son but heaven help me i am not going to sell my child for gold though it were to save both him and me from starving it would be better that he should die with me than that he should live with his father frederick showed me a letter he had received from that gentleman full of cool impudence such as would astonish any one who did not know him but such as i am convinced none would know better how to answer than my brother he gave me no account of his reply except to tell me that he had not acknowledged his acquaintance with my place of refuge but rather left it to be inferred that it was quite unknown to him by saying it was useless to apply to him or any other of my relations for information on the subject as it appeared i had been driven to such extremity that i had concealed my retreat even from my best friends but that if he had known it or should at any time be made aware of it most certainly mr huntingdon would be the last person to whom he should communicate the intelligence and that he need not trouble himself to bargain for the child for he frederick fancied he knew enough of his sister to enable him to declare that wherever she might be or however situated no consideration would induce her to deliver him up thirtieth alas my kind neighbours will not let me alone by some means they have ferreted me out and i have had to sustain visits from three different families all more or less bent upon discovering who and what i am whence i came and why i have chosen such a home as this their society is unnecessary to me to say the least and their curiosity annoys and alarms me if i gratify it it may lead to the ruin of my son and if i am too mysterious it will only excite their suspicions invite conjecture and rouse them to greater exertions and perhaps be the means of spreading my fame from parish to parish till it reach the ears of some one who will carry it to the lord of grassdale manor i shall be expected to return their calls but if upon inquiry i find that any of them live too far away for arthur to accompany me they must expect in vain for a while for i cannot bear to leave him unless it be to go to church and i have not attempted that yet for it may be foolish weakness but i am under such constant dread of his being snatched away that i am never easy when he is not by my side and i fear these nervous terrors would so entirely disturb my devotions that i should obtain no benefit from the attendance i mean however to make the experiment next sunday and oblige myself to leave him in charge of rachel for a few hours 
it will be a hard task but surely no imprudence and the vicar has been to scold me for my neglect of the ordinances of religion i had no sufficient excuse to offer and i promised if all were well he should see me in my pew next sunday for i do not wish to be set down as an infidel and besides i know i should derive great comfort and benefit from an occasional attendance at public worship if i could only have faith and fortitude to compose my thoughts in conformity with the solemn occasion and forbid them to be forever dwelling on my absent child and on the dreadful possibility of finding him gone when i return and surely god in his mercy will preserve me from so severe a trial for my child's own sake if not for mine he will not suffer him to be torn away november third i have made some further acquaintance with my neighbours the fine gentleman and beau of the parish and its vicinity in his own estimation at least is a young here it ended the rest was torn away how cruel just when she was going to mention me for i could not doubt it was your humble servant she was about to mention though not very favourably of course i could tell that as well by those few words as by the recollection of her whole aspect and demeanour towards me in the commencement of our acquaintance well i could readily forgive her prejudice against me and her hard thoughts of our sex in general when i saw to what brilliant specimens her experience had been limited respecting me however she had long since seen her error and perhaps fallen into another in the opposite extreme for if at first her opinion of me had been lower than i deserved i was convinced that now my deserts were lower than her opinion and if the former part of this continuation had been torn away to avoid wounding my feelings perhaps the latter portion had been removed for fear of ministering too much to my self-conceit at any rate i would have given much to have seen it all to have witnessed the gradual change and watched the progress of her esteem and friendship for me and whatever former feeling she might have to have seen how much of love there was in her regard and how it had grown upon her in spite of her virtuous resolutions and strenuous exertions to but no i had no right to see it all this was too sacred for any eyes but her own and she had done well to keep it from me End of volume three, chapter seven. Recording by Expatriate in Bangor, Maine. Volume three, chapter eight of The Tenant of Wildfell Hall by Anne Bronte. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Expatriate in Bangor, Maine. Volume three, chapter eight. Reconciliation well halford what do you think of all this and while you read it did you ever picture to yourself what my feelings would probably be during its perusal most likely not but i am not going to descant upon them now i will only make this acknowledgment little honourable as it may be to human nature and especially to myself that the former half of the narrative was to me more painful than the latter not that i was at all insensible to mrs huntingdon's wrongs or unmoved by her sufferings but i must confess i felt a kind of selfish gratification in watching her husband's gradual decline in her good graces and seeing how completely he extinguished all her affection at last the effect of the whole however in spite of all my sympathy for her and my fury against him 
was to relieve my mind of an intolerable burden and fill my heart with joy as if some friend had roused me from a dreadful nightmare it was now near eight o'clock in the morning for my candle had expired in the midst of my perusal leaving me no alternative but to get another at the expense of alarming the house or to go to bed and wait the return of daylight on my mother's account i chose the latter but how willingly i sought my pillow and how much sleep it brought me i leave you to imagine at the first appearance of dawn i rose and brought the manuscript to the window but it was impossible to read it yet i devoted half an hour to dressing and then returned to it again now with a little difficulty i could manage and with intense and eager interest i devoured the remainder of its contents when it was ended and my transient regret at its abrupt conclusion was over i opened the window and put out my head to catch the cooling breeze and imbibe deep draughts of the pure morning air a splendid morning it was the half-frozen dew lay thick on the grass the swallows were twittering round me the rooks cawing and cows lowing in the distance an early frost and summer sunshine mingled their sweetness in the air but i did not think of that a confusion of countless thoughts and varied emotions crowded upon me while i gazed abstractedly on the lovely face of nature soon however this chaos of thoughts and passions cleared away giving place to two distinct emotions joy unspeakable that my adored helen was all i wished to think her that through the noisome vapours of the world's aspersions and my own fancied convictions her character shone bright and clear and stainless as that sun i could not bear to look on and shame and deep remorse for my own conduct immediately after breakfast i hurried over to wildfell hall rachel had risen many degrees in my estimation since yesterday i was ready to greet her quite as an old friend but every kindly impulse was checked by the look of cold distrust she cast upon me on opening the door the old virgin had constituted herself the guardian of her lady's honour i suppose and doubtless she saw in me another mr hargrave only the more dangerous in being more esteemed and trusted by her mistress mrs can't see anyone to-day sir she's poorly said she in answer to my inquiry for mrs graham but i must see her rachel said i placing my hand on the door to prevent its being shut against me indeed sir you can't replied she settling her countenance in still more iron frigidity than before be so good as to announce me it's no manner of use mr markham she's poorly i tell you just in time to prevent me from committing the impropriety of taking the citadel by storm and pushing forward unannounced an inner door opened and little arthur appeared with his frolicsome playfellow the dog he seized my hand between both his and smilingly drew me forward mamma says you're to come in mr markham said he and i'm to go out and play with rover rachel retired with a sigh and i stepped into the parlour and shut the door there before the fireplace stood the tall graceful figure wasted with many sorrows i cast the manuscript on the table and looked in her face anxious and pale it was turned towards me her clear dark eyes were fixed on mine with a gaze so intensely earnest that they bound me like a spell have you looked it over she murmured the spell was broken i've read it through said i advancing into the room and i want to know if you'll forgive me if you can forgive me she did not answer but her eyes glistened 
and a faint red mantled on her lip and cheek as i approached she abruptly turned away and went to the window it was not in anger i was well assured but only to conceal or control her emotion i therefore ventured to follow and stand beside her there but not to speak she gave me her hand without turning her head and murmured in a voice she strove in vain to steady can you forgive me it might be deemed a breach of trust i thought to convey that lily hand to my lips so i only gently pressed it between my own and smilingly replied i hardly can you should have told me this before it shows a want of confidence oh no cried she eagerly interrupting me it was not that it was no want of confidence in you but if i had told you anything of my history i must have told you all in order to excuse my conduct and i might well shrink from such a disclosure till necessity obliged me to make it but you forgive me i have done very very wrong i know but as usual i have reaped the bitter fruits of my own error and must reap them to the end bitter indeed was the tone of anguish repressed by resolute firmness in which this was spoken now i raised her hand to my lips and fervently kissed it again and again for tears prevented any other reply she suffered these wild caresses without resistance or resentment then suddenly turning from me she paced twice or thrice through the room i knew by the contraction of her brow the tight compression of her lips and wringing of her hands that meantime a violent conflict between reason and passion was silently passing within at length she paused before the empty fireplace and turning to me said calmly if that might be called calmness which was so evidently the result of a violent effort now gilbert you must leave me not this moment but soon and you must never come again never again helen just when i love you more than ever for that very reason if it is so we should not meet again i thought this interview was necessary at least i persuaded myself it was so that we might severally ask and receive each other's pardon for the past but there can be no excuse for another i shall leave this place as soon as i have means to seek another asylum but our intercourse must end here end here echoed i and approaching the high carved chimney-piece i leant my hand against its heavy mouldings and dropped my forehead upon it in silent sullen despondency you must not come again continued she there was a slight tremor in her voice but i thought her whole manner was provokingly composed considering the dreadful sentence she pronounced you must know why i tell you so she resumed and you must see that it is better to part at once if it be hard to say adieu forever you ought to help me she paused i did not answer will you promise not to come if you won't and if you do come here again you will drive me away before i know where to find another place of refuge or how to seek it helen said i turning impatiently towards her i cannot discuss the matter of eternal separation calmly and dispassionately as you can do it is no question of mere expedience with me it is a question of life and death she was silent her pale lips quivered and her fingers trembled with agitation as she nervously entwined them in the hair chain to which was appended her small gold watch the only thing of value she had permitted herself to keep i had said an unjust and cruel thing but i must needs follow it up with something worse but helen i began in a soft low tone 
not daring to raise my eyes to her face that man is not your husband in the sight of heaven he has forfeited all claim to she seized my arm with a grasp of startling energy gilbert don't she cried in a tone that would have pierced a heart of adamant for god's sake don't you attempt these arguments no fiend could torture me like this i won't i won't said i gently laying my hand on hers almost as much alarmed at her vehemence as ashamed of my own misconduct instead of acting like a true friend continued she breaking from me and throwing herself into the old armchair and helping me with all your might or rather taking your own part in the struggle of right against passion you leave all the burden to me and not satisfied with that you do your utmost to fight against me when you know that i she paused and hid her face in her handkerchief forgive me helen pleaded i i will never utter another word on the subject but may we not still meet as friends it will not do she replied mournfully shaking her head and then she raised her eyes to mine with a mildly reproachful look that seemed to say you must know that as well as i then what must we do cried i passionately but immediately i added in a quieter tone i'll do whatever you desire only don't say that this meeting is to be our last and why not don't you know that every time we meet the thoughts of the final parting will become more painful don't you feel that every interview makes us dearer to each other than the last the utterance of this last question was hurried and low and the downcast eyes and burning blush too plainly showed that she at least had felt it it was scarcely prudent to make such an admission or to add as she presently did i have power to bid you go now another time it might be different but i was not base enough to attempt to take advantage of her candour but we may write i timidly suggested you will not deny me that consolation we can hear of each other through my brother your brother a pang of remorse and shame shot through me she had not heard of the injury he had sustained at my hands and i had not the courage to tell her your brother will not help us i said he would have all communion between us to be entirely at an end and he would be right i suppose as a friend of both he would wish us both well and every friend would tell us it was our interest as well as our duty to forget each other though we might not see it ourselves but don't be afraid gilbert she added smiling sadly at my manifest discomposure there is little chance of my forgetting you but i did not mean that frederick should be the means of transmitting messages between us only that each might know through him of the other's welfare and more than this ought not to be for you are young gilbert and you ought to marry and will some time though you may think it impossible now and though i hardly can say i wish you to forget me i know it is right that you should both for your own happiness and that of your future wife and therefore i must and will wish it she added resolutely and you are young too helen i boldly replied and when that profligate scoundrel has run through his career you will give your hand to me i'll wait till then but she would not leave me this support independently of the moral evil of basing our hopes upon the death of another who if unfit for this world was at least no less so for the next and whose amelioration would thus become our bane and his greatest transgression our greatest benefit she maintained it to be madness many men of mr huntingdon's habits had lived to a ripe though miserable old age 
and if i said she am young in years i am old in sorrow but even if trouble should fail to kill me before vice destroys him think if he reached but fifty years or so would you wait twenty or fifteen in vague uncertainty and suspense through all the prime of youth and manhood and marry at last a woman faded and worn as i shall be without ever having seen me from this day to that you would not she continued interrupting my earnest protestations of unfailing constancy or if you would you should not trust me gilbert in this matter i know better than you you think me cold and stony-hearted and you may but i don't helen well never mind you might if you would but i have not spent my solitude in utter idleness and i am not speaking now from the impulse of the moment as you do i have thought of all these matters again and again i have argued these questions with myself and pondered well our past and present and future career and believe me i have come to the right conclusion at last trust my words rather than your own feelings now and in a few years you will see that i was right though at present i can hardly see it myself she murmured with a sigh as she rested her head on her hand and don't argue against me any more all you can say has been already said by my own heart and refuted by my reason it was bad enough to combat those suggestions as they were whispered within me in your mouth they are ten times worse and if you knew how much they pain me you would cease at once i know if you knew my present feelings you would even try to relieve them at the expense of your own i will go in a minute if that can relieve you and never return said i with bitter emphasis but if we may never meet and never hope to meet again is it a crime to exchange our thoughts by letter may not kindred spirits meet and mingle in communion whatever be the fate and circumstances of their earthly tenements they may they may cried she with a momentary burst of glad enthusiasm i thought of that too gilbert but i feared to mention it because i feared you would not understand my views upon the subject i fear it even now i fear any kind friend would tell us we are both deluding ourselves with the idea of keeping up a spiritual intercourse without hope or prospect of anything further without fostering vain regrets and hurtful aspirations and feeding thoughts that should be sternly and pitilessly left to perish of inanition never mind our kind friends if they can part their bodies it is enough in god's name let them not sunder our souls cried i in terror lest she should deem it her duty to deny us this last remaining consolation but no letters can pass between us here said she without giving fresh food for scandal and when i departed i had intended that my new abode should be unknown to you as to the rest of the world not that i should doubt your word if you promised not to visit me but i thought you would be more tranquil in your own mind if you knew you could not do it and likely to find less difficulty in abstracting yourself from me if you could not picture my situation to your mind but listen said she smilingly putting up her finger to check my impatient reply in six months you shall hear from frederick precisely where i am and if you still retain your wish to write to me and think you can maintain a correspondence all thought all spirit such as disembodied souls or unimpassioned friends at least might hold write and i will answer you six months yes to give your present ardour time to cool and try the truth and constancy of your soul's love for mine and now enough has been said between us 
why can't we part at once exclaimed she almost wildly after a moment's pause as she suddenly rose from her chair with her hands resolutely clasped together i thought it was my duty to go without delay and i approached and half extended my hand as if to take leave she grasped it in silence but this thought of final separation was too intolerable it seemed to squeeze the blood out of my heart and my feet were glued to the floor and must we never meet again i murmured in the anguish of my soul we shall meet in heaven let us think of that said she in a tone of desperate calmness but her eyes glittered wildly and her face was deadly pale but not as we are now i could not help replying it gives me little consolation to think i shall next behold you as a disembodied spirit or an altered being with a frame perfect and glorious but not like this and a heart perhaps entirely estranged from me no gilbert there is perfect love in heaven so perfect i suppose that it soars above distinctions and you will have no closer sympathy with me than with any one of the ten thousand thousand angels and the innumerable multitude of happy spirits round us whatever i am you will be the same and therefore cannot possibly regret it and whatever that change may be we know it must be for the better but if i am to be so changed that i shall cease to adore you with my whole heart and soul and love you beyond every other creature i shall not be myself and though if ever i win heaven at all i must i know be infinitely better and happier than i am now my earthly nature cannot rejoice in the anticipation of such beatitude from which itself and its chief joy must be excluded is your love all earthly then no but i am supposing we shall have no more intimate communion with each other than with the rest if so it will be because we love them more and not each other less increase of love brings increase of happiness when it is mutual and pure as that will be but can you helen contemplate with delight this prospect of losing me in a sea of glory i own i cannot but we know not that it will be so and i do know that to regret the exchange of earthly pleasures for the joys of heaven is as if the grovelling caterpillar should lament that it must one day quit the nibbled leaf to soar aloft and flutter through the air roving at will from flower to flower sipping sweet honey from their cups or basking in their sunny petals if these little creatures knew how great a change awaited them no doubt they would regret it but would not all such sorrow be misplaced and if that illustration will not move you here is another we are children now we feel as children and we understand as children and when we are told that men and women do not play with toys and that our companions will one day weary of the trivial sports and occupations that interest them and us so deeply now we cannot help being saddened at the thoughts of such an alteration because we cannot conceive that as we grow up our own minds will become so enlarged and elevated that we ourselves shall then regard as trifling those objects and pursuits we now so fondly cherish and that though our companions will no longer join us in those childish pastimes they will drink with us at other fountains of delight and mingle their souls with ours in higher aims and nobler occupations beyond our present comprehension but not less deeply relished or less truly good for that while yet both we and they remain essentially the same individuals as before 
but gilbert can you really derive no consolation from the thought that we may meet together where there is no more pain and sorrow no more striving against sin and struggling of the spirit against the flesh where both will behold the same glorious truths and drink exalted and supreme felicity from the same fountain of light and goodness that being whom both will worship with the same intensity of holy ardour where pure and happy creatures both will love with the same divine affection if you cannot never write to me helen i can if faith would never fail now then exclaimed she while this hope is strong within us we will part i cried you shall not have the pain of another effort to dismiss me i will go at once but i did not put my request in words she understood it instinctively and this time she yielded too or rather there was nothing so deliberate as requesting or yielding in the matter there was a sudden impulse that neither could resist one moment i stood and looked into her face the next i held her to my heart and we seemed to grow together in a close embrace from which no physical or mental force could rend us a whispered god bless you and go go was all she said but while she spoke she held me so fast that without violence i could not have obeyed her at length however by some heroic effort we tore ourselves apart and i rushed from the house i have a confused remembrance of seeing little arthur running up the garden walk to meet me and of bolting over the wall to avoid him and subsequently running down the steep fields clearing the stone fences and hedges as they came in my way till i got completely out of sight of the old hall and down to the bottom of the hill and then of long hours spent in bitter tears and lamentations and melancholy musings in the lonely valley with the eternal music in my ears of the west wind rushing through the overshadowing trees and the brook babbling and gurgling along its stony bed my eyes for the most part vacantly fixed on the deep checkered shades restlessly playing over the bright sunny grass at my feet where now and then a withered leaf or two would come dancing to share the revelry but my heart was away up the hill in that dark room where she was weeping desolate and alone she whom i was not to comfort not to see again till years or suffering had overcome us both and torn our spirits from their perishing abodes of clay there was little business done that day you may be sure the farm was abandoned to the labourers and the labourers were left to their own devices but one duty must be attended to i had not forgotten my assault upon frederick lawrence and i must see him to apologize for the unhappy deed i would fain have put it off till the morrow but what if he should denounce me to his sister in the meantime no no i must ask his pardon to-day and entreat him to be lenient in his accusation if the revelation must be made i deferred it however till the evening when my spirits were more composed and when oh wonderful perversity of human nature some faint germs of indefinite hopes were beginning to rise in my mind not that i intended to cherish them after all that had been said on the subject but there they must lie for a while uncrushed though not encouraged till i had learnt to live without them arrived at woodford the young squire's abode i found no little difficulty in obtaining admission to his presence the servant that opened the door told me his master was very ill and seemed to think it doubtful whether he would be able to see me i was not going to be balked however 
i waited calmly in the hall to be announced but inwardly determined to take no denial the message was such as i expected a polite intimation that mr lawrence could see no one he was feverish and must not be disturbed i shall not disturb him long said i but i must see him for a moment it is on business of importance that i wish to speak to him i'll tell him sir said the man and i advanced farther into the hall and followed him nearly to the door of the apartment where his master was for it seemed he was not in bed the answer returned was that mr lawrence hoped i would be so good as to leave a message or a note with the servant as he could attend to no business at present he may as well see me as you said i and stepping past the astonished footman i boldly rapped at the door entered and closed it behind me the room was spacious and handsomely furnished very comfortably too for a bachelor a clear red fire was burning in the polished grate a superannuated greyhound given up to idleness and good living lay basking before it on the thick soft rug on one corner of which beside the sofa sat a smart young springer looking wistfully up in its master's face perhaps asking permission to share his couch or it might be only soliciting a caress from his hand or a kind word from his lips the invalid himself looked very interesting as he lay reclining there in his elegant dressing-gown with a silk handkerchief bound across his temples his usually pale face was flushed and feverish his eyes were half closed until he became sensible of my presence and then he opened them wide enough one hand was thrown listlessly over the back of the sofa and held a small volume with which apparently he had been vainly attempting to beguile the weary hours he dropped it however in his start of indignant surprise as i advanced into the room and stood before him on the rug he raised himself on his pillows and gazed upon me with equal degrees of nervous horror anger and amazement depicted on his countenance mr markham i scarcely expected this he said and the blood left his cheek as he spoke i know you didn't answered i but be quiet a minute and i'll tell you what i came for unthinkingly i advanced a step or two nearer he winced at my approach with an expression of aversion and instinctive physical fear anything but conciliatory to my feelings i stepped back however make your story a short one said he putting his hand on the small silver bell that stood on the table beside him or i shall be obliged to call for assistance i am in no state to bear your brutalities now or your presence either and in truth the moisture started from his pores and stood on his pale forehead like dew such a reception was hardly calculated to diminish the difficulties of my unenviable task it must be performed however in some fashion and so i plunged into it at once and floundered through it as i could the truth is lawrence said i i have not acted quite correctly towards you of late especially on this last occasion and i am come to in short to express my regret for what has been done and to beg your pardon if you don't choose to grant it i added hastily not liking the aspect of his face it's no matter only i've done my duty that's all it's easily done replied he with a faint smile bordering on a sneer to abuse your friend and knock him on the head without any assignable cause and then tell him the deed was not quite correct but it's no matter whether he pardons it or not i forgot to tell you that it was in consequence of a mistake muttered i i should have made a very handsome apology but you provoked me so confoundedly with your what 
well i suppose it's my fault the fact is i didn't know that you were mrs graham's brother and i saw and heard some things respecting your conduct towards her which were calculated to awaken unpleasant suspicions that allow me to say a little candor and confidence on your part might have removed and at last i chanced to overhear a part of a conversation between you and her that made me think i had a right to hate you and how came you to know that i was her brother asked he in some anxiety she told me herself she told me all she knew i might be trusted but you needn't disturb yourself about that mr lawrence for i've seen the last of her the last is she gone then no but she has bid adieu to me and i have promised never to go near that house again while she inhabits it i could have groaned aloud at the bitter thoughts awakened by this turn in the discourse but i only clenched my hands and stamped my foot upon the rug my companion however was evidently relieved you have done right he said in a tone of unqualified approbation while his face brightened into almost a sunny expression and as for the mistake i am sorry for both our sakes that it should have occurred perhaps you can forgive my want of candor and remember as some partial mitigation of the offence how little encouragement to friendly confidence you have given me of late yes yes i remember it all nobody can blame me more than i blame myself in my own heart at any rate nobody can regret more sincerely than i do the result of my brutality as you rightly term it never mind that said he faintly smiling let us forget all unpleasant words on both sides as well as deeds and consign to oblivion everything that we have cause to regret have you any objection to take my hand or you'd rather not it trembled through weakness as he held it out and dropped before i had time to catch it and give it a hearty squeeze which he had not the strength to return how dry and burning your hand is lawrence said i you are really ill and i have made you worse by all this talk oh it is nothing only a cold got by the rain my doing too never mind that but tell me did you mention this affair to my sister to confess the truth i had not the courage to do so but when you tell her will you just say that i deeply regret it and oh never fear i shall say nothing against you as long as you keep your good resolution of remaining aloof from her she has not heard of my illness then that you are aware of i think not i'm glad of that for i have been all this time tormenting myself with the fear that somebody would tell her i was dying or desperately ill and she would be either distressing herself on account of her inability to hear from me or do me any good or perhaps committing the madness of coming to see me i must contrive to let her know something about it if i can continued he reflectively or she will be hearing some such story many would be glad to tell her such news just to see how she would take it and then she might expose herself to fresh scandal i wish i had told her said i if it were not for my promise i would tell her now by no means i am not dreaming of that but if i were to write a short note now not mentioning you markham but just giving a slight account of my illness by way of excuse for my not coming to see her and to put her on her guard against any exaggerated report she may hear and address it in a disguised hand would you do me the favour to slip it into the post-office as you pass for i dare not trust any of the servants in such a case most willingly i consented and immediately brought him his desk there was little need to disguise his hand 
for the poor fellow seemed to have considerable difficulty in writing at all so as to be legible when the note was done i thought it time to retire and took leave after asking if there was anything in the world i could do for him little or great in the way of alleviating his sufferings and repairing the injury i had done no said he you have already done much towards it you have done more for me than the most skilful physician could do for you have relieved my mind of two great burdens anxiety on my sister's account and deep regret upon your own for i do believe these two sources of torment have had more effect in working me up into a fever than anything else and i am persuaded i shall soon recover now there is one more thing you can do for me and that is come and see me now and then for you see i am very lonely here and i promise your entrance shall not be disputed again i engaged to do so and departed with a cordial pressure of the hand i posted the letter on my way home most manfully resisting the temptation of dropping in a word from myself at the same time end of volume three chapter eight recording by expatriate in bangor maine volume three chapter nine of the tenant of wildfell hall by anne bronte this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by expatriate in bangor maine volume three chapter nine friendly counsels i felt strongly tempted at times to enlighten my mother and sister on the real character and circumstances of the persecuted tenant of wildfell hall and at first i greatly regretted having omitted to ask that lady's permission to do so but on due reflection i considered that if it were known to them it could not long remain a secret to the millwards and wilsons and such was my present appreciation of eliza millward's disposition that if once she got a clue to the story i should fear she would soon find means to enlighten mr huntingdon upon the place of his wife's retreat i would therefore wait patiently till these weary six months were over and then when the fugitive had found another home and i was permitted to write to her i would beg to be allowed to clear her name from these vile calumnies at present i must content myself with simply asserting that i knew them to be false and would prove it some day to the shame of those who slandered her i don't think anybody believed me but everybody soon learned to avoid insinuating a word against her or even mentioning her name in my presence they thought i was so madly infatuated by the seductions of that unhappy lady that i was determined to support her in the very face of reason and meantime i grew insupportably morose and misanthropical from the idea that every one i met was harboring unworthy thoughts of the supposed mrs graham and would express them if he dared my poor mother was quite distressed about me but i couldn't help it at least i thought i could not though sometimes i felt a pang of remorse for my undutiful conduct to her and made an effort to amend attended with some partial success and indeed i was generally more humanized in my demeanour to her than to any one else mr lawrence excepted rose and fergus usually shunned my presence and it was well they did for i was not fit company for them nor they for me under the present circumstances mrs huntingdon did not leave wildfell hall till above two months after our farewell interview 
during that time she never appeared at church and i never went near the house i only knew she was still there by her brother's brief answers to my many and varied enquiries respecting her i was a very constant and attentive visitor to him throughout the whole period of his illness and convalescence not only from the interest i took in his recovery and my desire to cheer him up and make the utmost possible amends for my former brutality but from my growing attachment to himself and the increasing pleasure i found in his society partly from his increased cordiality to me but chiefly on account of his close connection both in blood and in affection with my adored helen i loved him for it better than i'd like to express and i took a secret delight in pressing those slender white fingers so marvellously like her own considering he was not a woman and in watching the passing changes in his fair pale features and observing the intonations of his voice detecting resemblances which i wondered had never struck me before he provoked me at times indeed by his evident reluctance to talk to me about his sister though i did not question the friendliness of his motives in wishing to discourage my remembrance of her his recovery was not quite so rapid as he had expected it to be he was not able to mount his pony till a fortnight after the date of our reconciliation and the first use he made of his returning strength was to ride over by night to wildfell hall to see his sister it was a hazardous enterprise both for him and for her but he thought it necessary to consult with her on the subject of her projected departure if not to calm her apprehensions respecting his health and the worst result was a slight relapse of his illness for no one knew of the visit but the inmates of the old hall except myself and i believe it had not been his intention to mention it to me for when i came to see him the next day and observed he was not so well as he ought to have been he merely said he had caught cold by being out too late in the evening you'll never be able to see your sister if you don't take care of yourself said i a little provoked at the circumstance on her account instead of commiserating with him i've seen her already said he quietly you've seen her cried i in astonishment yes and then he told me what considerations had impelled him to make the venture and with what precautions he had made it and how was she i eagerly asked as usual was the brief though sad reply as usual that is far from happy and far from strong she is not positively ill returned he and she will recover her spirits in a while i have no doubt but so many trials have been almost too much for her how threatening those clouds look continued he turning towards the window we shall have thunder showers before night i imagine and they are just in the midst of stacking my corn have you got yours all in yet no and lawrence did she did your sister mention me she asked if i had seen you lately and what else did she say i cannot tell you all she said replied he with a slight smile for we talked a good deal though my stay was but short but our conversation was chiefly on the subject of her intended departure which i begged her to delay till i was better able to assist her in her search after another home but did she say no more about me she did not say much about you markham i should not have encouraged her to do so had she been inclined but happily she was not she only asked a few questions concerning you and seemed satisfied with my brief answers wherein she showed herself wiser than her friend and i may tell you too that she seemed to be far more anxious lest you should think too much of her than lest you should forget her 
she was right but i fear your anxiety is quite the other way respecting her no it is not i wish her to be happy but i don't wish her to forget me altogether she knows it is impossible that i should forget her and she is right to wish me not to remember her too well i should not desire her to regret me too deeply but i can scarcely imagine she will make herself very unhappy about me because i know i am not worthy of it except in my appreciation of her you are neither of you worthy of a broken heart nor of all the sighs and tears and sorrowful thoughts that have been and i fear will be wasted upon you both but at present each has a more exalted opinion of the other than i fear he or she deserves and my sister's feelings are naturally full as keen as yours and i believe more constant but she has the good sense and fortitude to strive against them in this particular and i trust she will not rest till she has entirely weaned her thoughts he hesitated from me said i and i wish you would make the like exertions continued he did she tell you that that was her intention no the question was not broached between us there was no necessity for it for i had no doubt that such was her determination to forget me yes markham why not oh well was my only audible reply but i internally answered no lawrence you're wrong there she is not determined to forget me it would be wrong to forget one so deeply and fondly devoted to her who can so thoroughly appreciate her excellencies and sympathize with all her thoughts as i can do and it would be wrong in me to forget so excellent and divine a piece of god's creation as she when i have once so truly loved and known her but i said no more to him on that subject i instantly started a new topic of conversation and soon took leave of my companion with a feeling of less cordiality towards him than usual perhaps i had no right to be annoyed at him but i was so nevertheless in little more than a week after this i met him returning from a visit to the wilsons and i now resolved to do him a good turn though at the expense of his feelings and perhaps at the risk of incurring that displeasure which is so commonly the reward of those who give disagreeable information or tender their advice unasked in this believe me i was actuated by no motives of revenge for the occasional annoyances i had lately sustained from him nor yet by any feeling of malevolent enmity towards miss wilson but purely by the fact that i could not endure that such a woman should be mrs huntingdon's sister and that as well for his own sake as for hers i could not bear to think of his being deceived into a union with one so unworthy of him and so utterly unfitted to be the partner of his quiet home and the companion of his life he had had uncomfortable suspicions on that head himself i imagined but such was his inexperience and such were the lady's powers of attraction and her skill in bringing them to bear upon his young imagination that they had not disturbed him long and i believe the only effectual causes of the vacillating indecision that had preserved him hitherto from making an actual declaration of love was the consideration of her connections and especially of her mother whom he could not abide had they lived at a distance he might have surmounted the objection but within two or three miles of woodford it was really no light matter you've been to call on the wilsons lawrence said i as i walked beside his pony yes replied he slightly averting his face i thought it but civil to take the first opportunity of returning their kind attentions 
since they have been so very particular and constant in their enquiries throughout the whole course of my illness it's all miss wilson's doing and if it is returned he with a very perceptible blush is that any reason why i should not make a suitable acknowledgment it is a reason why you should not make the acknowledgment she looks for let us drop that subject if you please said he in evident displeasure no lawrence with your leave we'll continue it a while longer and i'll tell you something now we're about it which you may believe or not as you choose only please to remember that it is not my custom to speak falsely and that in this case i can have no motive for misrepresenting the truth well markham what now miss wilson hates your sister it may be natural enough that in her ignorance of the relationship she should feel some degree of enmity against her but no good or amiable woman would be capable of evincing that bitter cold-blooded designing malice towards a fancied rival that i have observed in her markham yes and it is my belief that eliza millward and she if not the very originators of the slanderous reports that have been propagated were designedly the encouragers and chief disseminators of them she was not desirous to mix up your name in the matter of course but her delight was and still is to blacken your sister's character to the utmost of her power without risking too greatly the exposure of her own malevolence i cannot believe it interrupted my companion his face burning with indignation well as i cannot prove it i must content myself with asserting that it is so to the best of my belief but as you would not willingly marry miss wilson if it were so you will do well to be cautious till you have proved it to be otherwise i never told you markham that i intended to marry miss wilson said he proudly no but whether you do or not she intends to marry you did she tell you so no but then you have no right to make such an assertion respecting her he slightly quickened his pony's pace but i laid my hand on its mane determined he should not leave me yet wait a moment lawrence and let me explain myself and don't be so very i don't know what to call it inaccessible as you are i know what you think of jane wilson and i believe i know how far you are mistaken in your opinion you think she is singularly charming elegant sensible and refined you are not aware that she is selfish cold-hearted ambitious artful shallow-minded enough markham enough no let me finish you don't know that if you married her your home would be rayless and comfortless and it would break your heart at last to find yourself united to one so wholly incapable of sharing your tastes feelings and ideas so utterly destitute of sensibility good feeling and true nobility of soul have you done asked my companion quietly yes i know you hate me for my impertinence but i don't care if it only conduces to preserve you from that fatal mistake well returned he with a rather wintry smile i'm glad you have overcome or forgotten your own afflictions so far as to be able to study so deeply the affairs of others and trouble your head so unnecessarily about the fancied or possible calamities of their future life we parted somewhat coldly again but still we did not cease to be friends and my well-meant warning though it might have been more judiciously delivered as well as more thankfully received was not wholly unproductive of the desired effect his visit to the wilsons was not repeated and though in our subsequent interviews he never mentioned her name to me nor i to him 
i have reason to believe he pondered my words in his mind eagerly though covertly sought information respecting the fair lady from other quarters secretly compared my character of her with what he had himself observed and what he heard from others and finally came to the conclusion that all things considered she had much better remain miss wilson of rycote farm than be transmuted into mrs lawrence of woodford hall i believe too that he soon learned to contemplate with secret amazement his former predilection and to congratulate himself on the lucky escape he had made but he never confessed it to me or hinted one word of acknowledgment for the part i had had in his deliverance but this was not surprising to any one that knew him as i did as for jane wilson she of course was disappointed and embittered by the sudden cold neglect and ultimate desertion of her former admirer had i done wrong to blight her cherished hopes i think not and certainly my conscience has never accused me from that day to this of any evil design in the matter end of volume three chapter nine recording by expatriate in bangor maine volume three chapter ten of the tenant of wildfell hall by anne bronte this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by expatriate in bangor maine volume three chapter ten startling intelligence one morning about the beginning of november while i was inditing some business letters shortly after breakfast eliza millward came to call upon my sister rose had neither the discrimination nor the virulence to regard the little demon as i did and they still preserved their former intimacy at the moment of her arrival however there was no one in the room but fergus and myself my mother and sister being both of them absent on household cares intent but i was not going to lay myself out for her amusement whoever else might so incline i merely honoured her with a careless salutation and a few words of course and then went on with my writing leaving my brother to be more polite if he chose but she wanted to tease me what a pleasure it is to find you at home mr markham said she with a disingenuously malicious smile i so seldom see you now for you never come to the vicarage papa is quite offended i can tell you she added playfully looking into my face with an impertinent laugh as she seated herself half beside and half before my desk off the corner of the table i have had a good deal to do of late said i without looking up from my letter have you indeed somebody said you had been strangely neglecting your business these last few months somebody said wrong for these last two months especially i have been particularly plodding and diligent ah well there's nothing like active employment i suppose to console the afflicted and excuse me mr markham but you look so very far from well and have been by all accounts so moody and thoughtful of late i could almost think you have some secret care preying on your spirits formerly said she timidly i could have ventured to ask you what it was and what i could do to comfort you i dare not do it now you're very kind miss eliza when i think you can do anything to comfort me i'll make bold to tell you pray do i suppose i mayn't guess what it is that troubles you there's no necessity for i'll tell you plainly the thing that troubles me the most at present is a young lady sitting at my elbow and preventing me from finishing my letter 
and thereafter repairing to my daily business before she could reply to this ungallant speech rose entered the room and miss eliza rising to greet her they both seated themselves near the fire where that idle lad fergus was standing leaning his shoulder against the corner of the chimney-piece with his legs crossed and his hands in his breeches pockets now rose i'll tell you a bit of news i hope you've not heard it before for good bad or indifferent one always likes to be the first to tell it's about that sad mrs graham hush whispered fergus in a tone of solemn import we never mention her her name is never heard and glancing up i caught him with its eye askance on me and his finger pointed to his forehead then winking at the young lady with a doleful shake of the head he whispered a monomania but don't mention it all right but that i should be sorry to injure any one's feelings returned she speaking below her breath another time perhaps speak out miss eliza said i not deigning to notice the other's buffooneries you needn't fear to say anything in my presence that is true well answered she perhaps you know already that mrs graham's husband is not really dead and that she had run away from him i started and felt my face glow but i bent it over my letter and went on folding it up as she proceeded but perhaps you did not know that she has now gone back to him again and that a perfect reconciliation has taken place between them only think she continued turning to the confounded rose what a fool the man must be and who gave you this piece of intelligence miss eliza said i interrupting my sister's exclamations i had it from a very authentic source sir from whom may i ask from one of the servants at woodford oh i was not aware that you are on such intimate terms with mr lawrence's household it was not from the man himself that i heard it but he told it in confidence to our maid sarah and sarah told it to me in confidence i suppose and you tell it in confidence to us but i can tell you that it is but a lame story after all and scarcely one half of it true while i spoke i completed the sealing and direction of my letters with a somewhat unsteady hand in spite of all my efforts to retain composure and in spite of my firm conviction that the story was a lame one that the supposed mrs graham most certainly had not voluntarily gone back to her husband or dreamt of a reconciliation most likely she was gone away and the tale-bearing servant not knowing what was become of her had conjectured that such was the case and our fair visitor had detailed it as a certainty delighted with such an opportunity of tormenting me but it was possible barely possible that someone might have betrayed her and she had been taken away by force determined to know the worst i hastily pocketed my two letters and muttering something about being too late for the post left the room rushed into the yard and vociferously called for my horse no one being there i dragged him out of the stable myself strapped the saddle on to his back and the bridle on to his head mounted and speedily galloped away to woodford i found its owner pensively strolling in the grounds is your sister gone were my first words as i grasped his hand instead of the usual inquiry after his health yes she's gone was his answer so calmly spoken that my terror was at once removed i suppose i mayn't know where she is said i as i dismounted and relinquished my horse to the gardener 
who being the only servant within call had been summoned by his master from his employment of raking up the dead leaves on the lawn to take him to the stables my companion gravely took my arm and leading me away to the garden thus answered my question she is at grassdale manor in blankshire where cried i with a convulsive start at grassdale manor how was it i gasped who betrayed her she went of her own accord impossible lawrence she could not be so frantic exclaimed i vehemently grasping his arm as if to force him to unsay those hateful words she did persisted he in the same grave collected manner as before and not without reason he continued gently disengaging himself from my grasp mr huntingdon is ill and so she went to nurse him yes fool i could not help exclaiming and lawrence looked up with a rather reproachful glance is he dying then i think not markham and how many more nurses has he how many ladies are there besides to take care of him none he was alone or she would not have gone oh confound it this is intolerable what is that he should be alone i attempted no reply for i was not sure that this circumstance did not partly conduce to my distraction i therefore continued to pace the walk in silent anguish with my hand pressed to my forehead then suddenly pausing and turning to my companion i impatiently exclaimed why did she take this infatuated step what fiend persuaded her to it nothing persuaded her but her own sense of duty humbug i was half inclined to say so myself markham at first i assure you it was not by my advice that she went for i detest that man as fervently as you can do except indeed that his reformation would give me much greater pleasure than his death but all i did was to inform her of the circumstance of his illness the consequence of a fall from his horse in hunting and to tell her that that unhappy person miss myers had left him some time ago it was ill done now when he finds the convenience of her presence he will make all manner of lying speeches and false fair promises for the future and she will believe him and then her condition will be ten times worse and ten times more irremediable than before there does not appear to be much ground for such apprehensions at present said he producing a letter from his pocket from the account i received this morning i should say it was her writing by an irresistible impulse i held out my hand and the words let me see it involuntarily passed my lips he was evidently reluctant to grant the request but while he hesitated i snatched it from his hand recollecting myself however the minute after i offered to restore it here take it said i if you don't want me to read it no replied he you may read it if you like i read it and so may you grassdale november fourth dear frederick i know you will be anxious to hear from me and i will tell you all i can mr huntingdon is very ill but not dying or in any immediate danger and he is rather better at present than he was when i came i found the house in sad confusion mrs greaves benson every decent servant had left and those that were come to supply their places were a negligent disorderly set to say no worse i must change them again if i stay a professional nurse a grim hard old woman had been hired to attend the wretched invalid he suffers much and has no fortitude to bear him through 
the immediate injuries he sustained from the accident however were not very severe and would as the doctor says have been but trifling to a man of temperate habits but with him it is very different on the night of my arrival when i first entered his room he was lying in a kind of half delirium he did not notice me till i spoke and then he mistook me for another is it you alice come again he murmured what did you leave me for it is i arthur it is helen your wife i replied my wife said he with a start for heaven's sake don't mention her i have none devil take her he cried a moment after and you too what did you do it for i said no more but observing that he kept gazing towards the foot of the bed i went and sat there placing the light so as to shine full upon me for i thought he might be dying and i wanted him to know me for a long time he lay silently looking upon me first with a vacant stare then with a fixed gaze of strange growing intensity at last he startled me by suddenly raising himself on his elbow and demanding in a horrified whisper with his eyes still fixed upon me who is it it is helen huntingdon said i quietly rising at the same time and removing to a less conspicuous position i must be going mad cried he or something delirious perhaps but leave me whoever you are i can't bear that white face and those eyes for god's sake go and send me somebody else that doesn't look like that i went at once and sent the hired nurse but next morning i ventured to enter his chamber again and taking the nurse's place by his bedside i watched him and waited on him for several hours showing myself as little as possible and only speaking when necessary and then not above my breath at first he addressed me as the nurse but on my crossing the room to draw up the window blinds in obedience to his directions he said no it isn't nurse it's alice stay with me do that old hag will be the death of me i mean to stay with you said i and after that he would call me alice or some other name almost equally repugnant to my feelings i forced myself to endure it for a while fearing a contradiction might disturb him too much but when having asked for a glass of water while i held it to his lips he murmured thanks dearest i could not help distinctly observing you would not say so if you knew me intending to follow that up with another declaration of my identity but he merely muttered an incoherent reply so i dropped it again till some time after when as i was bathing his forehead and temples with vinegar and water to relieve the heat and pain in his head he observed after looking earnestly upon me for some minutes i have such strange fancies i can't get rid of them and they won't let me rest and the most singular and pertinacious of them all is your face and voice they seem just like hers i could swear at this moment that she was by my side she is said i that seems comfortable continued he without noticing my words and while you do it the other fancies fade away but this only strengthens go on go on till it vanishes too i can't stand such a mania as this it would kill me it never will vanish said i distinctly for it is the truth the truth he cried starting up as if an asp had stung him you don't mean to say that you are really she i do but you needn't shrink away from me as if i were your greatest enemy i am come to take care of you and do what none of them would do oh for god's sake 
don't torment me now cried he in pitiable agitation and then he began to mutter bitter curses against me or the evil fortune that had brought me there while i put down the sponge and basin and resumed my seat at the bedside where are they said he have they all left me servants and all there are servants within call if you want them but you had better lie down now and be quiet none of them could or would attend you as carefully as i shall do i can't understand it at all said he in bewildered perplexity was it a dream that and he covered his eyes with his hand as if trying to unravel the mystery no arthur it was not a dream that your conduct was such as to oblige me to leave you but i heard that you were ill and alone and i am come back to nurse you you need not fear to trust me tell me all your wants and i will try to satisfy them there is no one else to care for you and i shall not upbraid you now oh i see said he with a bitter smile it's an act of christian charity whereby you hope to gain a higher seat in heaven for yourself and scoop a deeper pit in hell for me no i came to offer you that comfort and assistance your situation required and if i could benefit your soul as well as your body and awaken some sense of contrition and oh yes if you could overwhelm me with remorse and confusion of face now's the time what have you done with my son he is well and you may see him some time if you will compose yourself but not now where is he he is safe is he here wherever he is you will not see him till you have promised to leave him entirely under my care and protection and to let me take him away whenever and wherever i please if i should hereafter judge it necessary to remove him again but we will talk of that to-morrow you must be quiet now no let me see him now i promise if it must be so no i swear it as god is in heaven now then let me see him but i cannot trust your oaths and promises i must have a written agreement and you must sign it in presence of a witness but not to-day to-morrow no to-day now persisted he and he was in such a state of feverish excitement and so bent upon the immediate gratification of his wish that i thought it better to grant it at once as i saw he would not rest till i did but i was determined my son's interest should not be forgotten and having clearly written out the promise i wished mr huntingdon to give upon a slip of paper i deliberately read it over to him and made him sign it in the presence of rachel he begged i would not insist upon this it was a useless exposure of my want of faith in his word to the servant i told him i was sorry but since he had forfeited my confidence he must take the consequence he next pleaded inability to hold the pen then we must wait until you can hold it said i upon which he said he would try but then he could not see to write i placed my finger where the signature was to be and told him he might write his name in the dark if he only knew where to put it but he had not power to form the letters in that case you must be too ill to see the child said i and finding me inexorable he at length managed to ratify the agreement and i bade rachel send the boy all this may strike you as harsh but i felt i must not lose my present advantage and my son's future welfare should not be sacrificed to any mistaken tenderness for this man's feelings little arthur had not forgotten his father but thirteen months of absence 
during which he had seldom been permitted to hear a word about him or hardly to whisper his name had rendered him somewhat shy and when he was ushered into the darkened room where the sick man lay so altered from his former self with fiercely flushed face and wildly gleaming eyes he instinctively clung to me and stood looking on his father with a countenance expressive of far more awe than pleasure come here arthur said the latter extending his hand towards him the child went and timidly touched that burning hand but almost started in alarm when his father suddenly clutched his arm and drew him nearer to his side do you know me asked mr huntingdon intently perusing his features yes who am i papa are you glad to see me yes you're not replied the disappointed parent relaxing his hold and darting a vindictive glance at me arthur thus released crept back to me and put his hand in mine his father swore i had made the child hate him and abused and cursed me bitterly the instant he began i sent our son out of the room and when he paused to breathe i calmly assured him that he was entirely mistaken i had never once attempted to prejudice his child against him i did indeed desire him to forget you i said and especially to forget the lessons you taught him and for that cause and to lessen the danger of discovery i own i have generally discouraged his inclination to talk about you but no one can blame me for that i think the invalid only replied by groaning aloud and rolling his head on a pillow in a paroxysm of impatience i am in hell already cried he this cursed thirst is burning my heart to ashes will nobody before he could finish the sentence i had poured out a glass of some acidulated cooling drink that was on the table and brought it to him he drank it greedily but muttered as i took away the glass i suppose you're heaping coals of fire on my head you think not noticing this speech i asked if there was anything else i could do for him yes i'll give you another opportunity of showing your christian magnanimity sneered he set my pillow straight and these confounded bedclothes i did so there now get me another glass of that slop i complied this is delightful isn't it said he with a malicious grin as i held it to his lips you never hoped for such a glorious opportunity now shall i stay with you said i as i replaced the glass on the table or will you be more quiet if i go and send the nurse oh yes you're wondrous gentle and obliging but you've driven me mad with it all responded he with an impatient toss i'll leave you then said i and i withdrew and did not trouble him with my presence again that day except for a minute or two at a time just to see how he was and what he wanted next morning the doctor ordered him to be bled and after that he was more subdued and tranquil i passed half the day in his room at different intervals my presence did not appear to agitate or irritate him as before and he accepted my services quietly without any bitter remarks indeed he scarcely spoke at all except to make known his wants and hardly then but on the morrow that is to-day in proportion as he recovered from the state of exhaustion and stupefaction his ill-nature appeared to revive oh this sweet revenge cried he when i had been doing all i could to make him comfortable and to remedy the carelessness of his nurse and you can enjoy it with such a quiet conscience too because it's all in the way of duty it is well for me that i am doing my duty said i 
with a bitterness i could not repress for it is the only comfort i have and the satisfaction of my own conscience it seems is the only reward i need look for he looked rather surprised at the earnestness of my manner what reward did you look for he asked you will think me a liar if i tell you but i did hope to benefit you as well to better your mind as to alleviate your present sufferings but it appears i am to do neither your own bad spirit will not let me as far as you are concerned i have sacrificed my own feelings and all the little earthly comfort that was left me to no purpose and every little thing i do for you is ascribed to self-righteous malice and refined revenge it's all very fine i dare say said he eyeing me with stupid amazement and of course i ought to be melted to tears of penitence and admiration at the sight of so much generosity and superhuman goodness but you see i can't manage it however pray do me all the good you can if you do really find any pleasure in it for you perceive i am almost as miserable just now as you need wish to see me since you came i confess i have had better attendance than before for these wretches neglected me shamefully and all my old friends seem to have fairly forsaken me i've had a dreadful time of it i assure you i sometimes thought i should have died do you think there's any chance there's always a chance of death and it is always well to live with such a chance in view yes yes but do you think there's any likelihood that this illness will have a fatal termination i cannot tell but supposing it should how are you prepared to meet the event why the doctor told me i wasn't to think about it for i was sure to get better if i stuck to his regimen and prescriptions i hope you may arthur but neither the doctor nor i can speak with certainty in such a case there is internal injury and it is difficult to know to what extent there now you want to scare me to death no but i don't want to lull you to false security if a consciousness of the uncertainty of life can dispose you to serious and useful thoughts i would not deprive you of the benefit of such reflections whether you do eventually recover or not does the idea of death appall you very much it's just the only thing i can't bear to think of so if you've any but it must come some time interrupted i and if it be years hence it will as certainly overtake you as if it came to-day and no doubt be as unwelcome then as now unless you oh hang it don't torment me with your preachments now unless you want to kill me outright i can't stand it i tell you i've sufferings enough without that if you think there's danger save me from it and then in gratitude i'll hear whatever you like to say i accordingly dropped the unwelcome topic and now frederick i think i may bring my letter to a close from these details you may form your own judgment of the state of my patient and of my own position and future prospects let me hear from you soon and i will write again to tell you how we get on but now that my presence is tolerated and even required in the sick-room i shall have but little time to spare between my husband and my son for i must not entirely neglect the latter it would not do to keep him always with rachel and i dare not leave him for a moment with any of the other servants or suffer him to be alone lest he should meet them if his father get worse i shall ask esther hargrave to take charge of him for a time till i have reorganized the household at least but i greatly prefer keeping him under my own eye i find myself in rather a singular position 
i am exerting my utmost endeavours to promote the recovery and reformation of my husband and if i succeed what shall i do my duty of course but how no matter i can perform the task that is before me now and god will give me strength to do whatever he requires hereafter good-bye dear frederick helen huntingdon what do you think of it said lawrence as i silently refolded the letter it seems to me returned i that she is casting her pearls before swine may they be satisfied with trampling them under their feet and not turn again and rend her but i shall say no more against her i see that she was actuated by the best and noblest motives in what she has done and if the act is not a wise one may heaven protect her from its consequences may i keep this letter lawrence you see she has never once mentioned me throughout or made the most distant allusion to me therefore there can be no impropriety or harm in it and therefore why should you wish to keep it were not these characters written by her hand and were not these words conceived in her mind and many of them spoken by her lips well said he and so i kept it otherwise halford you could never have become so thoroughly acquainted with its contents and when you write said i will you have the goodness to ask her if i may be permitted to enlighten my mother and sister on her real history and circumstance just so far as is necessary to make the neighbourhood sensible of the shameful injustice they have done her i want no tender messages but just ask her that and tell her it is the greatest favour she could do me and tell her no nothing more you see i know the address and i might write to her myself but i am so virtuous as to refrain well i'll do this for you markham and as soon as you receive an answer you let me know if all be well i'll come myself and tell you immediately end of volume three chapter ten recording by expatriate in bangor maine volume three chapter eleven of the tenant of wildfell hall by anne bronte this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by expatriate in bangor maine volume three chapter eleven further intelligence five or six days after this mr lawrence paid us the honour of a call and when he and i were alone together which i contrived as soon as possible by bringing him out to look at my corn-stacks he showed me another letter from his sister this one he was quite willing to submit to my longing gaze he thought i suppose it would do me good the only answer it gave to my message was this mr markham is at liberty to make such revelations concerning me as he judges necessary he will know that i should wish but little to be said on the subject i hope he is well but tell him he must not think of me i can give you a few extracts from the rest of the letter for i was permitted to keep this also perhaps as an antidote to all pernicious hopes and fancies he is decidedly better but very low from the depressing effects of his severe illness and the strict regimen he is obliged to observe so opposite to all his previous habits it is deplorable to see how completely his past life has degenerated his once noble constitution and vitiated the whole system of his organization but the doctor says he may now be considered out of danger if he will only continue to observe the necessary restrictions some stimulating cordials he must have but they should be judiciously diluted and sparingly used 
and i find it very difficult to keep him to this at first his extreme dread of death rendered the task an easy one but in proportion as he feels his acute suffering abating and sees the danger receding the more intractable he becomes now also his appetite for food is beginning to return and here too his long habits of self-indulgence are greatly against him i watch and restrain him as well as i can and often get bitterly abused for my rigid severity sometimes he contrives to elude my vigilance and sometimes acts in open opposition to my will but he is now so completely reconciled to my attendance in general that he is never satisfied when i am not by his side i am obliged to be a little stiff with him sometimes or he would make a complete slave of me and i know it would be unpardonable weakness to give up all other interests for him i have the servants to overlook and my little arthur to attend to and my own health too all of which would be entirely neglected were i to satisfy his exorbitant demands i do not generally sit up at nights for i think that the nurse who has made it her business is better qualified for such undertakings than i am but still an unbroken night's rest is what i but seldom enjoy and never can venture to reckon upon for my patient makes no scruple of calling me up at any hour when his wants or his fancies require my presence but he is manifestly afraid of my displeasure and if at one time he tries my patience by his unreasonable exactions and fretful complaints and reproaches at another he depresses me by his abject submission and deprecatory self-abasement when he fears he has gone too far but all this i can readily pardon i know it is chiefly the result of his enfeebled frame and disordered nerves what annoys me the most is his occasional attempts at affectionate fondness that i can neither credit nor return not that i hate him his sufferings and my own laborious care have given him some claim to my regard to my affection even if he would only be quiet and sincere and content to let things remain as they are but the more he tries to conciliate me the more i shrink from him and from the future helen what do you mean to do when i get well he asked this morning will you run away again it entirely depends upon your own conduct oh i'll be very good but if i find it necessary to leave you arthur i shall not run away you know i have your own promise that i may go whenever i please and take my son with me oh but you shall have no cause and then followed a variety of professions which i rather coldly checked will you not forgive me then said he yes i have forgiven you but i know you cannot love me as you once did and i should be very sorry if you were to for i could not pretend to return it so let us drop the subject and never recur to it again by what i have done for you you may judge of what i will do if it be not incompatible with the higher duty i owe to my son higher because he never forfeited his claims and because i hope to do more good to him than i can ever do to you and if you wish me to feel kindly towards you it is deeds not words that must purchase my affection and esteem his sole reply to this was a slight grimace and a scarcely perceptible shrug alas unhappy man words with him are so much cheaper than deeds it was as if i had said pounds not pence must buy the article you want and then he sighed a querulous self-commiserating sigh 
as if in pure regret that he the loved and courted of so many worshippers should be now abandoned to the mercy of a harsh exacting cold-hearted woman like that and even glad of what kindness she chose to bestow it's a pity isn't it said i and whether i rightly divined his musings or not the observation chimed in with his thoughts for he answered it can't be helped with a rueful smile at my penetration i have seen esther hargrave twice she is a charming creature but her blithe spirit is almost broken and her sweet temper almost spoiled by the still unremitting persecutions of her mother in behalf of her rejected suitor not violent but wearisome and unremitting like a continual dropping the unnatural parent seems determined to make her daughter's life a burden if she will not yield to her desires mamma does all she can said she to make me feel myself a burden and encumbrance to the family and the most ungrateful selfish and undutiful daughter that ever was born and walter too is as stern and cold and haughty as if he hated me outright i believe i should have yielded at once if i had known from the beginning how much resistance would have cost me but now for very obstinacy's sake i will stand out a bad motive for a good resolve i answered but however i know you have better motives really for your perseverance and i counsel you to keep them still in view trust me i will i threaten mamma sometimes that i'll run away and disgrace the family by earning my own livelihood if she torments me any more and then that frightens her a little but i will do it in good earnest if they don't mind be quiet and patient a while said i and better times will come poor girl i wish somebody that was worthy to possess her would come and take her away don't you frederick if the perusal of this letter filled me with dismay for helen's future life and mine there was one great source of consolation it was now in my power to clear her name from every foul aspersion the millwards and the wilsons should see with their own eyes the bright sun bursting from the cloud and they should be scorched and dazzled by its beams and my own friends too should see it they whose suspicions had been such gall and wormwood to my soul to effect this i had only to drop the seed into the ground and it would soon become a stately branching herb a few words to my mother and sister i knew would suffice to spread the news throughout the whole neighbourhood without any further exertion on my part rose was delighted and as soon as i had told her all i thought proper which was all i affected to know she flew with alacrity to put on her bonnet and shawl and hastened to carry the glad tidings to the millwards and wilsons glad tidings i suspect to none but herself and mary millward that steady sensible girl whose sterling worth had been so quickly perceived and duly valued by the supposed mrs graham in spite of her plain outside and who on her part had been better able to see and appreciate that lady's true character and qualities than the brightest genius among them as i may never have occasion to mention her again i may as well tell you here that she was at this time privately engaged to richard wilson a secret i believe to every one but their two selves that worthy student was now at cambridge where his most exemplary conduct and his diligent perseverance in the pursuit of learning carried him safely through and eventually brought him with hard-earned honours and an untarnished reputation to the close of his collegiate career 
in due time he became mr millward's first and only curate for that gentleman's declining years forced him at last to acknowledge that the duties of his extensive parish were a little too much for those vaunted energies which he was wont to boast over his younger and less active brethren of the cloth this was what the patient faithful lovers had privately planned and quietly waited for years ago and in due time they were united to the astonishment of the little world they lived in that had long since declared them both born to single blessedness affirming it impossible that the pale retiring bookworm should ever summon courage to seek a wife or be able to obtain one if he did and equally impossible that the plain-looking plain-dealing unattractive unconciliating miss millward should ever find a husband they still continued to live at the vicarage the lady dividing her time between her father her husband and their poor parishioners and subsequently her rising family and now that the reverend michael millward has been gathered to his fathers full of years and honours the reverend edward wilson has succeeded him to the vicarage of lindenhope greatly to the satisfaction of its inhabitants who had so long tried and fully proved his merits and those of his excellent and well-loved partner if you are interested in the after-fate of that lady's sister i can only tell you what perhaps you have heard from another quarter that some twelve or thirteen years ago she relieved the happy couple of her presence by marrying a wealthy tradesman of l and i don't envy him his bargain i fear she leads him a rather uncomfortable life though happily he is too dull to perceive the extent of his misfortune i have little enough to do with her myself we have not met for many years but i am well assured she has not yet forgotten or forgiven either her former lover or the lady whose superior qualities first opened his eyes to the folly of his boyish attachment as for richard wilson's sister she having been wholly unable to recapture mr lawrence or obtain any partner rich and elegant enough to suit her ideas of what the husband of jane wilson ought to be is yet in single blessedness shortly after the death of her mother she withdrew the light of her presence from rycote farm finding it impossible any longer to endure the rough manners and unsophisticated habits of her honest brother robert and his worthy wife or the idea of being identified with such vulgar people in the eyes of the world and took lodgings in blank the county town where she lived and still lives i suppose in a kind of close-fisted cold uncomfortable gentility doing no good to others and but little to herself spending her days in fancy work and scandal referring frequently to her brother the vicar and her sister the vicar's lady but never to her brother the farmer and her sister the farmer's wife seeing as much company as she can without too much expense but loving no one and beloved by none a cold-hearted supercilious keenly insidiously censorious old maid End of Volume 3, Chapter 11, Recording by Expatriate in Bangor, Maine Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate megastores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off 
my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durban Marshall credit card bill. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.